Hello, this is Michael Zuber, and I wanted to thank you for choosing to spend a little time with one rental at a time. My life's mission is to help investors close 1 million rental properties. In order to tackle this crazy goal, I will need your help. If you like this episode or any of the content we produce, please share it on social media. If you get one of my books or perhaps one of our 500 cards, please take a selfie and tag one rental at a time. Now on with the show. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, folks. Michael Zuber, one rental at a time. It is Thursday morning, and that means we bring on legendary investor Jonathan Twomley. How you doing, sir? I'm doing fine, Michael. I have to laugh every time you say that, but thank you. for. I'm legendary in your mind anyway, so. Yeah, it's my show. You're a legend in my mind, so. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> hey, uh, one of the things we had to talk about is uh, because we both we're both investors. That's essentially what we both are. And inflation came in uh, hotter than expected. You know, it's still on an upward trajectory. For those that don't know, it came in at seven point five percent. This is CPI. Uh, expectations were seven two. Uh, I had an over under at seven four, so that was my number, and it even exceeded that. And um, because of that, the 10-year spiked to over 2%. I called that as well on Monday. So I'm, I'm running pretty good on these numbers. But I wanted to talk to you. What does it all mean? Because um, uh, it's, it's an interesting soup we find ourselves in. Well, I mean, if you know, hundreds of years of economic data still ring true in this era of you know, Bitcoin, uh, it means that money is going to start flowing back into more low risk assets because they're paying better interest rates and the search for yield is over, right? Or it's right. search for yield is going to start, the, the tide will start going in the opposite direction when interest rates go up. Uh, so that means that you know, risk assets are going to decline in value basically. And since everything yeah. is now a risk asset because the Fed has pumped easy money into the system for such a long time that essentially everything has become a risk, a risk asset, mm -hmm. uh, a speculative asset, that means we're going to be in for some uh, interesting times over the next couple of years as interest rates rise and the market has to adjust to it. So um, yeah, cost of, cost of money is going up. Yeah. And that just affects everything, right? Uh, well, it affects, it affects assets, let's put it that way. Because the interesting thing is, so I've been reading, and we know we're gonna talk about this later, but sure. jump in now. I've been reading mm -hmm. The Lords of Easy Money, which is all about how the Fed uh, under Bernanke in the aftermath of the financial crisis pumped the money, the system full of money on the theory that this was gonna help employment, which it didn't, mm -mm. but what it did was below a, an enormous, you know, bubble in pretty much every asset you can think of. Because when treasuries are at zero, that means that insurance companies and all these other places that have massive amounts of money that have to be invested and they prefer, um, they need to get some yield, but for them, two, 3% has always been sufficient. Mm -hmm. They had to go out and start buying riskier assets just to get two, 3% returns, right? And then it yeah. pushed all the, and just pushed all of the money sort of outward, out the risk curve, right? Yep. But it did nothing to help with employment, really. Because uh, as, you know, with cheap money, companies bought their own stock back rather than investing it in factories and whatnot. So it, it didn't really do anything. So the question is actually, 
when the when the opposite happens, when the Fed sucks money out of the system, will it have any effect on jobs? Maybe it won't. But but of course, Wall Street will scream and yell as their assets go down, and they will say, "Oh, you're going to hurt the little guy." That's mm-hmm. their that's going to be their justification for trying to pressure the Fed into lowering interest rates again. Mm-hmm. But I'm not really sure that it really makes a difference given what those corporations and stuff use their easy money on, right? They, did, they, they didn't use it to build new factories and stuff. They used it to buy their own shares back and get big bonuses for themselves and stuff like that. So, yeah. uh, you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah. I, to reverse. Yeah. This, this is, um, this really is unprecedented times because I've, I've been doing a lot of reading about Q4 2018. Yeah. If you don't know that period, folks, 2018 was the last time the Fed tried to shrink their balance sheet in mass. And they did it to the tune of about half a billion dollars, 500 million. And it didn't end well, both for stocks and real estate. Now, real estate didn't fall in value, but transactions stopped. Yeah. And why is this important? Well, there's talk of the Fed reducing their balance sheet $2 trillion this year over the next 12 months. That sends shivers down my spine. So Jonathan, I want to read you something because I got asked, what do I think happened? So I just want to play these dominoes out and you let me know how they feel, all right? Sure. So, okay. So if they have to shrink their balance sheet, uh, the first thing that, in my opinion, is going to happen because they will become sellers, not buyers, is rates will go up. So I believe rates go up not only because they're raising rates, but because they're sellers, not buyers. So rates go up again. Borrowing will go down, right? Which you would expect. When the cost of money goes up, it becomes harder to borrow and borrowing goes down. Now that's borrowing for new purchases and also borrowing for cash out refinances and things like that. So all borrowing goes down. Consumption gets hurt because again, less money, less consumption. In the real estate game where I play, transactions go down. Makes sense so far. That will then ripple into the economy. The economy slows down. Consumers are buying less stuff. Real estate transactions, refinances, all of these things go down. Uh, So the economy gets hurt. And then hard assets like real estate could, if this goes on long enough and deep enough, also take a hit. I believe stock markets are hit actually kind of at step zero. The the risky assets that are traded on moment's notice are hurt first. That's like step zero, probably starts happening pretty soon. But those are the dominoes I see because I always get asked, is real estate going to crash? Well, maybe. There's a series of steps. Real estate is price inelastic. It is much, much slower. But if you play these dominoes out and they fall in successive orders, you could get there. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think as we've talked before many times on this podcast, that as the cost of capital goes up, it just reduces what you can pay for an asset, right? Correct. So um, it, so that is going to have an effect. I know there are people who disagree who, with me, <laughs> say, oh, no, investors will just pump up more equity uh, to buy these assets at a, at a lower LTV. But, uh, you know, I don't see it happening, right? I don't see it happening. And cap rates will have to rise because as interest rates go up, right? The, the only reason borrowing makes sense is if you have an interest rate that is lower than the cap rate, right? Correct. So, Correct. 
Wait, I, I don't think I just confused myself. Interest rate lower than the cap rate. Yeah, because then you get, then you get positive leverage, right. right? Which means that the more leverage you have, the higher your returns to equity are. But if the opposite happens, if interest rates rise above the cap rate, then you have negative leverage. So every dollar you borrow actually reduces your return. Correct. So unless you're in like a real actual hyperinflated environment, right, where people are making the calculation that it is better to lose less yeah. than to lose more, then you might see investment continue, but uh, at the same cap rates or, or even at negative leverage. But um, most people are going to say, I, I cannot pay this cap rate if, if this is what it costs me to borrow money. And the banks are certainly not going to lend as much money under those circumstances. They're going to require you to put up more equity. And uh, you know, we've already seen it happening. The other day, Arbor Capital went and just slashed its proceeds to a whole bunch of loans that were in process, right? So, wow, say that again. This, this, people need to hear these things. So this banks, people don't realize, I wrote about it in my book, banks can change overnight. Yeah. And what was safe suddenly isn't safe and they will stop or adjust if, immediately. If you, if you were not rate locked already and, and recently nobody's getting, when I yeah. started, yeah. everyone was getting rate locked like early in the process because they thought interest rates were going to go up or they were volatile, whatever. We've had low interest rates for such a long time that nobody has been worried about interest rates going up. So they haven't, they've been rate locking, you know, a day or two before the transaction, not a couple of months before the transaction. Yeah. And now what we've seen is now been related to the, the treasury going to two, like you said, that's, that's the baseline. So you think what a lot of people don't understand about the way lending works is lending, especially for like commercial lending, banks are not saying, okay, we have, I, we've got a hundred million dollars of cash in the bank and we're going to lend 10 million of that to you for your, you know, on your deal. Mm -hmm. That that may be the case at like community banks or whatever they're on their balance sheet, but for most for big banks, that's not how they operate. What they're doing is literally executing a transaction where almost instantaneously they are buying treasuries, mm -hmm. right, and then they are, you know, or, yeah, where they're I don't know. I mean, I'm getting myself so confused. But the point is, they're they're borrowing the money mm -hmm. from. The public markets or they're borrowing it from like wherever they borrow it from the fed or whatever and they lock in a spread and then they lend it to you so correct. it's happening instantaneously so they don't have they're not lending money that they have they're lending money that they borrow correct right. but so they, they borrow it x they add on their premium that's how they make this right exactly that's the spread right so mm -hmm. they're borrowing they're borrowing at whatever the treasury rate is uh -huh. right and then they are then locking in a spread and they they lend it to you at a different rate you know, it's sort of like the old, you know, the old days when I used to say, like, what was it? The bankers is like, you know, lend it, borrow at three, lend at six, yeah. you know, golf at three, you know. Yeah, was, yeah exactly. Three, six, yeah. three, right? And so, I mean, they're, but they did it with their own money, right? They did it with deposits in those days. Now they do it with money that they're borrowing mm -hmm. from the Fed or they're borrowing from another bank or wherever it is. And so, the point of this is that if that interest rate goes up that they're borrowing at, they have to pass it through. Correct. They'll absorb some of it, but they're not going to absorb that much of it and only for so long. And yeah, so I, I think, yeah, I think that's the key because a lot of new people in this game will assume 
uh, that banks will eat margin a little bit, which they will in, in a short window. But I've actually seen times where margins can expand. Right? Oh, yeah. These margin things that people are talking, they're not always the same. Sometimes they're risky, sometimes they're not. And who, you know, I've seen spreads. I think the biggest spread I saw or, or growth in spread was like three quarters of a point, which in an interest rate world is huge. Oh, yeah. No, I remember back in like 2013, 2014, 2015. Yeah, exactly. When the markets were still pretty skittish and people forget that now, but the markets were still pretty skittish. The banks, the spreads were like all over the place. Like, yeah, exactly. I, I, would, I would do a deal and it's the spread would be 175. And then the like two months later, my lender would say, oh, the spread has gone to 250. Exactly. And exactly. so so the interest rate didn't change that they were borrowing at, yeah. but their their perception of risk had changed, and they wanted more of a premium to do to, mm -hmm. to do lending. So that can happen. So I think that you know, when interest rates go up a little bit, they will uh, you know they will absorb some of it. But the the thing is, they probably have a floor rate, you know, a floor spread beyond which they won't go. Correct. So and I'm, my my guess is it's probably somewhere in the 125 to 150 basis point range. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't think I've seen anybody, even in the good old times, like 2004 and five was kind of the most lending, loose lending I've ever seen. And yeah, I think the spreads were one and a quarter, I think. Yeah. I, so I don't think they're going to go much below that. Oh, no, I don't think they get anywhere close to that. I think it's at least one and a half now. I think that was, yeah. that so was will, bad lending back then. They will pass that through. And, and that means that your cost of capital goes up and that, you know, they're going to lend fewer proceeds. And so I, so what's happened... Mm -hmm. With the with Arbor right now is that a bunch of uh, you know the deals are in process. See, if for deals going forward, they won't have to cut proceeds because they're going to tell borrowers like this is how much money you can get, and the borrowers are going to negotiate with the sellers right on that basis. But for deals that were in process, like deals that are about to close, right, the price is not going anywhere. I mean, unless the seller, if the buyer is able to go back to the seller and say, hey. We got to retrade, mm -hmm. but it it's still a, a, an extreme seller's market, and yeah, not happening. Um, and so you you have to um, the banks are just saying here we're just going to give you less money. Go yeah. go raise it from your investors. Yeah. So, so it, it, here's a question for you. And again, I people need to realize this. We've been doing this for a long time. I I actually think there are some deals that were being celebrated in the last 45 days that yet haven't closed and weren't rate locked that will blow up, that will get undone. Money that went hard will be lost. So I think there's some deals that were expected to close in the next two to three weeks that will never close because I think cost of money has gone up. People weren't ready, they weren't prepared. And uh, I think, I, again, I think all of this is happening now where investors, the LPs are, are, getting, are going to get skittish. Like I gave you this, I'm not gonna give you more because you know it's, it's gonna be a very interesting time if deals haven't have rate locked. Could, could deals blow up, you think? Yeah. I think it could. I think for especially for deals that are overpriced. Yeah, right? exactly. Things that are overpriced and people are paying. I mean, listen, like your 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 interest rate is a huge function of your uh, your underwriting, right? And Absolutely. your returns. Yeah. It's your biggest. You know, if you're doing a typical seventy five percent LTV deal, your interest rate. I mean, not your interest rate. Your borrowing costs, right? You're servicing your debt. Mm -hmm. is, your, is your single biggest, biggest expense. Oh, without right? question. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, obviously your operating expenses in total are going to be about 50%, but your debt service cost is going to be about 20 to 25% of your, of your income. 
Right. And so it's the single biggest cost you have. So if it goes, if it gets bigger, that is like very quickly hits your bottom line. Right. Yeah. So yeah, no doubt. I, uh, I really do. There's again, we've, we, the good thing is we've been talking about this for a while. Jonathan Twomley has his own playlist with well over hundred hours here. Go back and watch some. There are syndicators out there who have been preaching cap rates going to two and a half. I do not see that in an environment where the 10 year just hit two. I mean, listen, I, I, there are various reasons why people say that. And I think some of it, some of it is because it serves their interest to do so. Well, let's be very clear. There's only one reason. It is self-serving. It is a story they're telling because they are, um, they want to keep raising money. It's how they get paid. Yeah, well, I mean, I also do think that a lot of people have bought into this hyperinflation narrative, right? And so they, so they, they only think of one side of the equation, right? Mm -hmm. They think, yeah. uh, well, if, they're, if we're in a strong in inflation environment, people are going to want hard assets. They don't think about, well, what's the Fed going to do in reaction to that? And how is that going to affect real estate? It's usually, uh, you know, you talk with a lot of people and you know, they, a lot of syndicators remind me of the, of the um, National, uh, what's it, um, the National Association of Realtors. Right? <laughs> yeah, I remember. Yeah. Like, Back uh, in 06. Yeah, yeah I remember. Yeah, interest, rate, <laughs> interest rates go up. Oh, good for real estate. Interest good for real estate. Good for real estate. Yeah, what are you talking about? Yeah. Banks are going to give you less money. Good for real estate, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, unemployment has risen. Good for real estate. It's falling. Good for real estate. Like, yes. that's kind of how, how, uh, you know, another Great Depression. Great for real estate. <laughs> exactly. We'll be able to buy it cheap. You know, so uh, exactly. It's it's uh, it, sometimes it's the same thing. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, it can never, it can never be bad. Uh, I, I agree. Well, the closing thought on this, and then we'll, uh, we'll get on to episode number two. Do you think at this point, a 50 basis point move in March is a lock? I, well, I don't know. I, I can't. <laughs> I can no, never no, get you to play. That's no, okay. It's just, it's just because I just don't, I just don't know. I mean, like I'm not, I'm not as steeped in this issue as you are. So 50 basis points seems like a lot to me for in one single move. Okay. I mean, That's fair. I, th I, I mean, I like it. I, I would not be surprised if they go up 25. Okay, I'll, I'll play. Let's, let's just, yeah. I, I think it's, it's been unusual in the history of the Fed that they will raise a half point at, at once. Okay. I think they were going to try to do it true. in a much more gingerly way because mm -hmm. they don't want to spook the markets at the same. And I think a 50%, a 50 basis point rate hike would spook the markets. So mm -hmm. I, I, I don't see that happening. Even if inflation continues to print strong, yeah. you know, if the, if the rate hikes don't rein it in, and they start getting skittish, uh, you know, I still don't see it yet. I think they will just continue to keep on raising and raising in increments mm. rather than, you know, doing a Paul Volcker. Because also, I mean, look, inflation is also not yet anyway at 1970s levels, right? So, yeah. Uh, yeah, you're very much in the camp of Goldman Sachs, which we will get to in episode number two. I'm going to come out and say it one more time. This is now a lock at 50 basis points. Uh, they need to pull Paul Volcker. They need to save their reputation. They need to spook the market. They they um, they have now realized that asset prices across the risk assets that we talked about at the opening are overpriced, and they want to they want to pop this. So I I I fully expect half a point. But in fairness, I've been saying the same thing for four months. So kind of a broken record. So Jonathan, how can people find you? Well, many ways. Uh, one way is to go to multifamilylaunchpad.org download my free giveaway there uh, and get on my email list. That free giveaway is called how to buy your first 100 plus unit apartment building 
with other people's money and get paid to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can also Google my company, Two Bridges Asset Management LLC, and fill out the investor form to get on my investor list. And finally, you can also go to Multifamily Investment Community on Facebook and join my community there. Very good. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Absolutely.